Why are you attempting to secure something? Why does this not work the way that I think it should? What it is that they need that can consume intelligence? You really need to know some programming language pretty well. Security is the feeling, right? Destructive power that has to your organization. This is Hack Chat, where red and blue teams unite. Hi, my name is Marco Figueroa. This is Hack Chat, and today I have Chris Cochran. His meteoric rise over the last two years is very impressive. He's a security thought leader. He's a host of a top security podcast. There's a lot of value that you're going to get out of this podcast. Welcome, Chris. Introduce yourself, sir. How's it going, Marco? Thanks for having me on the show. I uh, hope I don't disappoint everybody with that uh, awesome, awesome intro. I'm Chris Cochran. I'm one half of the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. Uh, but by day, I'm a director of security engineering for a financial technology firm called Marketa. Awesome. Dude, what can I say? There's, there's a lot of... I have a lot of questions. We're going to have an amazing conversation. So what I want you to do for me is tell me about how did you first get into cybersecurity? So I got into cybersecurity. I would take you back to when I got into technology. I got into technology pretty young. Uh, I had one of those kits that you could turn into anything. You could turn it into an alarm system. Uh, you could turn it into an AM radio. I, I remember going down to the basement tying the wire to the pipe so it could turn into an antenna. Uh, but I've always been fascinated with technology ever since I was a little kid. Uh, and then it really peaked when I watched uh, Terminator 2. I thought I was going to go out there and build Skynet. Because I was like, <laughs> man, I want to build some robots. But uh, then I, I fast forward a little bit. Uh, I had just changed high schools. I went to uh, a different school. And when I got there, a lot of my friends were in this program to get their CCNA. And I was like, man, it's too bad I missed a cutoff. I was like, I want to get into this computer stuff. <clears throat> what, what, can I, what can I do? And they said, go get a book. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go get a book. So I took some back-to-school clothes money that my mm -hmm. mom gave me, and I spent the whole thing on a, a CompTIA, like, A-plus book. It was like this thick. And I read that bad boy like a novel, just page after page. I didn't jump around because I know what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. I just read the whole thing. And so I would come up to them and, and ask them questions. And they're like, wow, you're really picking this stuff up, right? And that's pretty much where it died on the vine. I did some, like, playing around with the computer. I was taking computers apart, looking at components, figuring out how to build my own. And then it really didn't get rekindled until I was in the Marine Corps. I was at the National Security Agency uh, doing intelligence. And I had an opportunity to do something with computers. And I, I jumped at the chance. And I said, wow, this is you know, serendipitous that I was able to have this alignment with my, my passion and technology before and, you know, intelligence that I was doing at the time. And uh, ever since then, it just kind of uh, wrote itself. Did you get picked for to do that in the Marine Corps or was it an option of three things and you went ahead and, and went yeah. that route? Yeah. I, I had my, my pick of the litter because mm. I took the ASVAB. The ASVAB is the test that you take to see what jobs you can pick mm -hmm. from. And I uh, scored pretty well, so I, had, I could pick any job that I wanted to. And uh, I saw this thing called intelligence, and I was like, I think I'm a pretty intelligent guy. I'm going to choose that. <laughs> I had no idea what it was about. So, uh, so I picked it, and uh, wow, I, I got to do some amazing things. 
and uh, it's really made me who I am today. So did you fall in love with Threat Intel during that time or was it a course of like three or four jobs into it that you was like, this is my heart? It was it was instant because uh, before I joined the Marine Corps, I was in college and I was a philosophy major mm. and I was in love with logic and argumentation and putting together pieces of, of language and, and thought. And when I started to do my thing in intelligence, I felt like I was doing that. I was mm. using that logic and argumentation uh, with my prose, with, with my writing, with the way I, I said things when I, and I also wanted to be a lawyer when I was younger. So I was building like cases and pulling together details. And so I felt like I was really living out my dream and the stuff that I always wanted to do. And I felt like I had the requisite uh, way of thinking, the, the mindset to, to piece together knowledge in a way that would make someone uh, able to make a decision more effectively and quickly. Ooh. Man, what was your first job out of, out of uh, the NSA Marine Corps? Uh, my first job was at the U.S. Cyber Command. Uh, it had just formed. And that's where I really started doing what you would consider your classic, like, threat intelligence. Uh, so I did that for about five years. I left there. I built a, a company that was building threat intelligence capabilities. So I got to work at the House of Representatives, FinTech. I was kind of all over the place. Um, and then after a while, I, I decided to go back as a, as a W-2. You know, my family was getting bigger. Uh, and, I, and I felt like I wasn't ready to, to stand out there on my own just yet. So... I was at General Alexander's startup, Ironnet. I was at Mandiant for a little bit. And then uh, ultimately, I ended up going to uh, uh, Netflix to build uh, threat intelligence there. And you went, there was a post that you went viral. That was, that's what I'm talking about with the meteoric rise. Yeah. You had this post, you did a write-up, and it, it had how many views? A million? Uh, about or, a million, yeah. Okay, a million. Mm -hmm. So it went viral on LinkedIn. Tell yep. me, explain that to me. What what were you trying to do? You weren't trying to go viral, and it went I'll, viral. I, I, I don't I don't think you can plan to go viral. Uh, and it's funny how it happened because all I did was, um, you know, when you change your job mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, it lets everybody know, hey, mm -hmm. Chris just went to Netflix. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was waiting for the fanfare, everybody clapping, saying, hey, good job, man, you made it, right? crickets nothing there was nothing uh, on my my profile there's no messages no nothing <clears throat> and i was wondering i was like why 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 didn't i get anything i figured out i had one of the configs to where it didn't share that i changed job roles mm. so i was like ah oh, i'm just going to take this picture that my wife took of me uh in front of the netflix sign and i was just pointing to it like this right <laughs> and um and I said something to the effect of, I was like, hey, just started at Netflix. You know, this is dream come true. If this Jarhead Marine can do it, anybody can. And like an hour later, it had like 4,000 views. I was like, whoa. And, it, and I wasn't doing much on uh, LinkedIn at that point. Mm -hmm. And then three hours later, it was like 15,000. I'm like, is, this thing's broken. There's no way. <laughs> like, this is crazy. It's, what's funny is at like 15,000 views, I was like screenshotting it. I was like, oh man, this will never happen again. I'm going to lose them all. When I woke up in the morning, it was like almost like 100,000 views. Wow. And I was like, this is incredible. Incredible. I went to Netflix the next day. I was like, I was like, hey, did, did you guys 
did you guys go viral? What, did, does this happen to everybody when like they change roles? They're like, no, man, it, this doesn't happen. To this anybody. is a one-off. This, <laughs> this is, is a just one-off. A one-off. Um, and, but I would say, uh, thankfully, uh, that, that situation is what caused me to want to do more with the community. It made me want to speak more. It made me want to, you know, do the thing like the podcast. Um, you know, that, that momentum really carried me to where I am today. I mean, after that, you know, one day we were, you and I were walking into, I forget what conference is it. And I knew the guy, right. The, the, the guy running everything. And he's yeah. like, you the guy, you the guy. And <laughs> remember that he was like, was you the guy with hacking. the Netflix yeah. guy. And I was like, it was, it was crazy. I was, I was, I was blown away. Right. I was blown away. It, it so, was so crazy. Yeah. It, 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 one, something like that just, just takes you to that next level where it allows to show people that they can do it as well. Yeah. And that's why I think it trended so well. So let's speak about the easy button and what it is and how did you come up with this? Yeah, so that's uh, one of my my claims to fame, right? The the easy button. A lot of people use it. Uh, Ron and I, we made a course about it. Excuse me. But the easy button really came about because I spent a long time as a consultant. You know, I had my own consultancy. I worked for other consultants. And uh, I kept finding the same issues when I'd see these these programs, these intelligence programs. And um, just same, same things kept bubbling up. And everything kind of came to a to a head uh, once uh, I was in a, a Q&A session uh, with a notable comedian. Uh, he had come to the Netflix campus and, you know, he's sitting there taking questions from the audience. And someone asked, like, hey, you know, now that you've, you've reached the highest heights in your career, what are you focused on now? And he said the thing that he's focused on now is giving back to his community, helping mm-hmm. out those younger comedians get to you know, a place where they can take care of themselves with their craft and move on to greater heights. And that, that really inspired me. And on my way back to my desk, I was walking. I was like, you know, I, I should do something with threat intelligence. And by the time I sat down, so it was like a two minute walk. And by the time I sat down, I had easy in my head. Mm. And so I sat down and maybe 30 minutes later, I had the original post for it. And I, I gave it to a couple folks. I gave it to you. I gave it to Ron. Kind of check it out. Hey, what do you guys think of this? Is it, am I crazy? Is this crazy? But I, I tell you what, you know, I thought it'd be kind of cheesy to make an acronym. Uh, but it has helped so many people in threat intelligence. And people see so much value. I, I just did a live stream yesterday. And people were asking me about it. And so I, I was, I, and I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled that anything that I created would be of value to anybody. Um, but the, the acronym is uh, easy, you know, just like the word. Mm-hmm. And it's E, elicit requirements. A, assess collection plan. S, strive for impact. And Y, yield the feedback. And that's really the the key components to making a threat intelligence program worth its salt. That's awesome. So when you were at Netflix and you created this, um, I remember like, you had this interview sheet, right? Where mm-hmm. you had other business units you would go and interview to provide them threat intelligence. Can you yep. take me through that 
process of, of not only creating what you created to try to provide value to a business unit, but what did that do for you once they gave you the information? How did you go ahead and, and, and take what they gave you and make it actionable for them? Yeah, I mean, it's all part of the easy, right? <clears throat> it's the uh, illicit requirements portion. So what I would do is, you know, sometimes threat intelligence analysts, you know, they just want to do a good job, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to do a good job. So sometimes when they get to a new place, what they do is they bring old requirements from where they used to work into the this new environment. And that isn't necessarily going to work. Maybe sometimes it'll work, but not always. What you want to do is you want to sit down with every stakeholder that can consume intelligence and figure out what it is that they need to get their jobs done. So what is their mission? What is the information that they need? How do they want to get that information? How often do they want to get that information? So talking to them about that. Have they used threat intelligence before? Is threat intelligence something that they don't believe in? Because that happens. That happens all the time. And so then you have to do almost like this Socratic method back and forth. And then you ask questions like, so what is threat intelligence to you? What is intelligence? And they might say something like, oh, it's just a bunch of IOCs that nobody wants to use. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, IOCs is a part of intelligence. But what if I told you that intelligence was so much more? And I, I can almost show you a way that intelligence can be impactful for you right now. Would you be interested in that? And they, who's going to say no to that, right? Mm -hmm. And then you slowly walk the dog into okay, maybe you can help me. And this is the information that I need. That's powerful. So as a security director at Marketa, what are some of the most important things that you face right now? Yeah, so the most important thing that I face right now is a, a hyper growth company, you know, so we're growing super fast. And we want to grow efficiently. And we want to make sure that all the folks that are on my team are you know, supported, empowered, empowered by technology, empowered to make decisions. And so right now I, I'm doing less of like the cybersecurity centric stuff. And it's more of supporting everybody else, supporting all of my engineers, supporting all the people that are, you know, doing program and product management. So making sure that they have all the things that they need to get their jobs done, which is kind of like intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. You know, cause I'm supporting other folks. So that leads like, into leadership very easily because I understand the pain points of, of different functions within the security program. And so I'm able to support them. Yeah. You've been there before, you know, you know how those trenches look and you know, you've been in the foxhole so many times. Yeah. So one <laughs> of the skills that I respect the most is your technical writing, you know, and as you and I know, we write a lot when doing threat intelligence, right? You're mm -hmm. constantly writing reports, either weekly, bi-weekly, or if you're working on an incident and they want threat intelligence or whatever the case is, you're, you're writing a report. So right. what role were you in that took you to another level writing threat intelligence reports? Like what, what made you go to that next level? when you were when you were working on uh, threat intelligence and and just providing reports to not only your customers, but, you know, your superiors? Yeah, I would say uh, probably my time at Cyber Command, because mm. uh, it's so funny when I showed up, you know, I, I showed up in the jackets like I wear everybody else is kind of wearing like, 
you know, <laughs> polos and stuff like that. There were some people wearing suits, yeah. but I was the guy that had the jacket and the T-shirt on. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like I was special, you know, and this is me coming out of the Marine Corps thinking I'm all that. And um, it's so funny. I, I had a leader uh, and she was fantastic. And, you know, I, I was like, you know, I was like smelling myself. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I can do all this, that and the other. I'm, I'm intelligent. She's like, oh, OK, if you're so intelligent, you're briefing the general next week. Mm. I was like, OK, <laughs> gut check time. Um, but little did she know is that for me, I thrive under pressure. Mm. Like, I, I think. You know, and, and it's funny because we had a, a going away dinner and she brought the story up and she was like, yeah, you know, Chris came in thinking to use all this, that and the other. <clears throat> uh, and so I was like, oh, OK, you think you're all that? You go talk to the general. But I will say that being under that type of pressure and you only get this much time to speak to a general, like 30, 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. You have to be clear, succinct on what you're trying to say. And so that repetition and then all of a sudden, I became the guy. Whenever it was time to talk to the general, they sent me. And um, I think that not only improved my ability to write, because you have to write everything down before you stand before the general, but it improved my ability to speak. Because mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm, it, it's high, high stakes. You got a general. If the general, if you get this guy out of here, you ain't coming back, right? Yep. Uh, so, yeah. I, One I shot. I just say that. Yeah. So, you know, hats off to that leader. You know, she she was a mentor to me and she gave me a shot and uh, ended up paying off. What what are some of the things that you recommend for someone to get better uh, when they're going ahead and trying to be uh, better at just technical writing or even threat intelligence reports? What do you what do you recommend for that? Yeah. So there's a couple things that you can do. Uh, one thing that I rarely see, <clears throat> one thing that I rarely see mm-hmm. is somebody uh, that writes succinct and and clear in a small format. Like you can get information across, but a lot of times folks overwrite. They overexplain, they they repeat what they're saying. And so I have this exercise that I like to do. So I take uh, maybe it's an intelligence report that I'm trying to distill for my organization. And I'll take it and I'll write it in 500 words. Mm. I'm like, okay, that's, that's good. Then I take that same report and I break it down to 250 words. Mm. Okay. Getting better, getting clearer. But when you break it down even further down to a hundred words, now there's like zero fat on that report. Every word has a purpose and everything is, is going to be geared towards action and decision for mm. that stakeholder. So I, I don't want to overdo it to the point where it loses its, its weight, its oomph, its gravity. But you want to make sure that you are to the point. Because if you start saying, well, it was a rainy day over in X country, you, you lost them. Yeah. No one's going to read it. They're just going to move on to the next thing. And then all of that work you did was for nothing. So you want to make sure that you get to the point as quick as possible to make somebody uh, empowered to make a decision. Yeah, I knew I knew you as a badass technical writer when you sent over um, the easy documentation, and I was like, "You you did this in one day?" He was like, "No, I did this like in two hours." I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, I was in the talk, and then I did this, and it was, <laughs> it was." Uh, I, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you're you're 
play of words and the way you write is is something that comes naturally right i, I think it's yeah. given through dna we we had that conversation that day and and it is i think it's your gift is it's like your superpower where you know not only you do cybersecurity but you know how to explain it and write it to to the superiors and people that are going to consume it maybe outside of your organization and you know it is it's impressive when i read something that you write i could always i'm entertained i can't say <laughs> that about a lot of people it's oh, entertaining when when you write like a, a long form document of you know two or three pages it's entertaining and and i give you mad kudos and and respect for that I appreciate that. So how how has cybersecurity changed um, since you came into the game, right? Like w what is different and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and for me, it is completely different as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you've been around uh, probably a little longer than me, uh, but I, I feel like, uh, you know, it was like the Model T Ford. You know, with the camera and the black yeah. and white and the, and the guys running around. I feel like it went from that to like spaceships flying mm. around everywhere. Mm. It's completely different, completely mm. different. As you move to cloud native infrastructure, like the rules are just different. Like you still have TCP IP, but everything from how you, you build infrastructure is different, how you protect it is different. And, and it's just a completely different ball game. So it, everything has changed from my perspective. Yeah, same, same here. You know, I think when I first came into the game, it went from a community to a industry. Like there was, there was a point in, I, I, I recall DEFCON, I believe eight is the first time I went. And then like DEFCON 15, there was such an explosion, you know, and and then I remember talking to Harvard Flake in 2017 at first conference in Puerto Rico. We were at mm -hmm. the bar and he was talking. He said, listen, we're at a point where there's exponential growth, right? Every four years, the whole security is, is like doubling and, and, and going beyond because the shortage of talent and everyone needs like security people in every company. So yep. you're, you're starting to see that exponential growth where, you know, you're seeing some, some of the coolest research out there now that I've, that I've ever seen. So my next yep. question is to you is where do you see security going? Where, wow. where are we heading? That's a, that's a very broad statement, but I would say uh, there was an, uh, a vulnerability that was released, you know, uh, I don't know when it was released. It was recent though. I, I think within the last two months, three months or something, mm -hmm. I think. And it was a, uh, compromise of the iPhone. Like if you're in the proximity, you can compromise it. And I was like mm. that it was by the Google, Google zero, um, guys. Oh yeah. Man, it was good. So this is where we're going, and, and I'm like, it's only getting better, right? There's only more mm -hmm. information coming out. No one's, no one's hiding, right? There's more cooler stuff coming out. So I wanted yeah. to get your opinion on that. Yeah, I think, 
you know, I think about entropy. And when you think about entropy, you think about how things are more and more random. And, I, and if you think about systems think, the more complex the system, the more entropy it has. And I feel like the more applications we use, the more uh, organizations are going to the cloud, the more interconnections we have, the more IPs that things have, you know, everything's going to have an IP address, my, my microphone, mm -hmm. my refrigerator, my microwave, everything's going to be interconnected. <clears throat> and as things are more interconnected, the more attack surface there can potentially be. And so from a cybersecurity perspective, you, you're almost going to need to secure things at the infrastructure level. Things are going to have to be secured at the platform level. Things are going to have to be secured via identity. There's just so many facets of security. And now it, it used to be a, a point where people could be generalists, right? It was mm -hmm. easy to be a generalist in, in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. I think it's getting harder now. It's getting harder to be a generalist in one thing in cybersecurity or in, in everything in cybersecurity. Now you have to go a mile wide and a mile deep on one thing at least. Maybe two if you're if you're dedicated and passionate about cybersecurity. But if you really want to become a master of something mm. in cybersecurity, you got to pick that lane and you got to beat your head against those challenges until you come up with something fantastic. I love that. That is that right there. I wish I had a bell because that is a ding. <laughs> that is a ding. You know why? Because I I totally agree. Right. I when it comes to Docker, I have a friend that is a master when it comes to Docker. Right. Yep. I give him a call. Hey, I, I'm having this issue. He's like, no problem. When it comes to FreeBSD, I have a expert yeah. that's there. When it comes to um, SOAR, you know, I have a friend. And when it comes to dieting, eating, working out, I, I think, <laughs> you know, mentoring and having friends that you could call upon is super important. Right. Mm -hmm. So tell me your first cybersecurity mentor. And what separates a good mentor from a bad mentor? Oof, that's a good question. So I would say my first cybersecurity mentor was probably my old boss, uh, Daniel K. Mm. Uh, he was old school Air Force, and uh, he transitioned over to uh, Cyber Command a little bit after I did. But he had some of that old school knowledge, you know, because he had been, you know, a part of that old guard when it came to cyber. And he taught me things about technical leadership mm -hmm. that I use to this day. Mm. And I'll never forget like the chances he gave me because I was a young leader. I was still 25 mm -hmm. years old, but the people I were leading, uh, they were, you know, retired military. And I'm like, you know, this, this 25 year old kid, you know, I keep messing up and he was hard on me. He was hard on me, he, but he never gave up on me. Nice. He just pushed me to do better. And that's why I take, leadership so serious. Um, and that's, you know, why I do like the things like the Marketo leads podcast and stuff like that. But I'd say the difference between a good mentor and a bad mentor, I, I would even say there's stuff that you can learn from a bad mentor. But the difference between a good mentor and a bad mentor is that the mentor is genuinely interested in seeing you succeed. Mm. Because there are a lot of mentors that might be a mentor just for ego. Mm -hmm. They just want to Oh, I feel special because this person's coming to me for knowledge. So mm -hmm. I'm going to pontificate out into the ether and then hopefully, you know, they'll be honored by my words and I'll go away with knowledge. But a true mentor seeks to understand where this person is headed. 
what their passion is in life and their superpower. So then they can put things in a context that they can use to get further in their career than they could them by themselves. And uh, do you mentor people like um, besides like maybe younger um, folks, maybe not even in cybersecurity, right? Oh like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, so and, I, I'm, I mentor people not only one-on-one, but also I have a mastermind uh, with Ron Eddings. And uh, yeah, we, we mentor people all the time. In fact, uh, during, for my day job at Marquetta, part of my, my job role is to lead this, this guild, uh, this management guild that helps cultivate the leadership culture like internal to our company. So I bring in folks that you know are thinking about becoming leaders, mm-hmm. folks that have just become leaders, folks that have been leaders for five years, and people have been leaders for 15 years because everybody can learn from somebody. Oh, so yeah. having all those people together to be able to you know pick challenges apart and, and support each other when they're success. So I, I look for, you know, ways to, to be mentors in all ways. Like even through the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, I feel like I'm, I'm not only like using myself and Ron as mentors for people like across the world, but the people we bring on, people that we bring on, they, they have inspiration to give to other people. They have knowledge. So I'm always, I feel like I'm constantly facilitating mentorship. Like in everything I do, I'm facilitating mentorship. Yeah, I wanted to mention that earlier this week, I was on one of those masterminds, right? On Word. the Hacker Valley. Yeah, and it was good to have you. It was amazing, right? Just the ambiance, the people you had, the conversations that were going on was of, of taking yourself and 10Xing yourself, not only mm-hmm. in security, but in... A, a, 360 way can you explain like what made you guys do the mastermind and what it was all about to say hey we're gonna we're gonna start this up yeah i would say it it started you know we were getting a following with the the podcast and i was like you know there's so many people that are excited about all the things that we're excited about Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be cool if we could like have like some one-on-one time with them or or Mm -hmm. group time at a minimum and so we have a, a Patreon and that's what we do it through. But I wasn't sure how it was going to land. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, I had never led uh, a mastermind group before. But in that very first meeting, there were bombs being dropped, not just by us, but also by the people that were in the group. And right then in that very first meeting, I, I, I walked out and I, I looked at my wife you and knew. I was like, I knew I was like, <laughs> this is something special and it's not just special because uh, of what ron and i do but it's special because of the people that are interested in being better yeah and it's it's um like i like i said it's like having yourself in the mirror and and having yourself ask you questions that you didn't think of Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things that, you know, you put it out there to get better. You're here to get better. You're, you're doing stuff to take yourself to that next level. Right. And you have people that are in security and some people that um, are doing podcasting and all different type of people. And it it was amazing just to have a conversation and, and a different aspect. And when you have those deep conversations, honest conversations, right, where 
you're okay to to put your vulnerability out there because you mm. want to get better. And that's what I felt. I was like, oh, this is good. Because, you know, during COVID, it's, it's been tough. This, this yeah. is super, like, it's unprecedented what we all have been going through, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in California, it's, all right, we're, we're, we're shutting everything down. Okay, we're opening right. back up. We're shutting it down. We're opening up. Right now, we're shutting. Like, now it's being really shut down. Like, everything's being mm-hmm. shut down except, like, just Costco's and, and the Walmarts. So, right. during this time of COVID, what have you been focusing on? What, what have you been doing over the last three or four months? Scale. Yeah. Scaling myself. Um, and figuring out how to, how to do that efficiently. Mm. And luckily I, I think I was lucky to have started the podcast before all this stuff, all this stuff happened. And when COVID started, you know, popping off everywhere, all over the world, I was like, you know what, Ron, let's double down and, and make more. Let's mm-hmm. produce more. And people were listening to less podcasts in the beginning because no one was driving anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that could have we could have did that and it would have been for nothing. But what we found out was that people started living differently. Now mm-hmm. people are working from home. And so now they, they want something playing in the background. Mm-hmm. Maybe they listen, they, they're, they're listening to the TV. They're listening on podcasts. And so everything's kind of shooting back up. And so I've been working on how do I scale and make myself better for everybody else? Because, I mean, you, you could have like an egocentric approach to like, oh, I just want to be the, the best interviewer ever. But why? Why do you want to be the best interviewer? I want to be a great interviewer. I want to be a great question asker because I want to get the best nuggets out of folks that I can to share with everybody else. You see, one I, of the things I would I would say, right? I have this cloth that I have here, right? When you get better, I don't know if you could see me right here. When you get better and you have your family, your colleagues, your friends yeah. and everything, look what happens when you get better. Everything comes back up. Everything goes yeah. up with you. So I, right. I, I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of pushing yourself and taking yourself to the to the next level and and putting yourself in a position to win right Mm -hmm. i think that's important a lot of people don't put themselves in that position to win because they don't have friends or people that push them you know one of one of the things when i was i'll never forget this about myself in 2003 i was working at home depot right I think it was 2000, maybe 2002. I was working at Home Depot. And I said, man, I was in the Bronx, New York. I'm like, my goal is to get out of here. Yeah. I don't care what I do, not only out of Home Depot, but I want a better life. I want to take myself to another level. I want to leave the Bronx. I want to, you know, just be out of here. Right. Right. And I dedicated myself from then on that I made that decision to where I'm at today. And I have one friend that has seen it from when I was in home Depot to now one day, I think I'm going to interview. He's non-technical, but, but he's seen that growth. Right. And what, what I think, you know, during this time I've been looking inward a lot. Hey, how do I, I've been journaling a lot 
but how do I yep. take myself to that next level? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Like every single day, trust the process and get better. Do mm-hmm. you do you keep a a journal or or something that you know that pushes you to the next level, almost like a dart in the board where you like, okay, this is where I'm going and this is the goal, and then every day you take a look at it and make sure you get closer to it. Yeah, so every once in a while I'll I'll start to journal, but it, it hasn't been turned into a habit just yet. But I'm working on it. But I will say that really my gauge is am I better than yesterday? Mm-hmm. In in any way, am I better than I was yesterday? Because yes, sir. you know, some people get wrapped up in in like, oh, I have to be here. And so they, they get fixated on this like future version of yourself that doesn't exist mm-hmm. yet. And sometimes that can be depressing. That can cause anxiety because I'm not there yet. You're looking in the mirror. I'm not that person. I'm not that person. If you get present and you focus on now, am I now better than I was yesterday? Yes, sir. All of a sudden, you've gotten better for 365 days. Yes, sir. So now you know that you're better this year than you were last year. And every year after year after year of doing this over and over again. One of my favorite stories is a a Will Smith story. And he was talking about uh, him and his brother had to build this wall. Their dad was like, hey, you got to build this wall. And they're like, we don't know anything about building walls. We're kids. And so they went out to build this wall. And he realized that he wasn't setting out to build this perfect wall. It's to lay each and every brick as perfectly as it can be laid. And eventually you'll have that perfect wall. I know exactly when he told that story because I watched the same thing. I think we have the same algorithms. And one of the things that, you know, I took from Will Smith a long time ago was you will not outwork me. So for Mm -hmm. me, it's you will not outwork me. He was like, you won't outrun me on the treadmill. I will die before I give up. And what Mm -hmm. I know is for me, I will outwork you where you might put in three hours, but I'm willing to put a hundred hours to get what I want out of what I want. Right. Right. And it's the same thing that you just said for me. I ask myself every night, am I better than yesterday's Marco? And if I'm Mm -hmm. not, what am I doing tomorrow? What am I scheduling? First thing I wake up to be better. Right. And that, and that's one of those things. And, and, you know, a lot of people um, make their bed in the mornings, right? Oh, you know, I, I accomplished something, right? And for me, it's like, no, I'm finishing what I started. Mm-hmm. Ding. You started right. to go to sleep. You got to finish that by going ahead and, and doing your bed. Mm-hmm. So I look at I look at it different and I think, you know, how to be more focused during this time is, is one thing. But like eventually. We're going to COVID's going to be over. Yep. And, and the way I look at it is you got to take this time to take yourself and 50 X yourself, 100 X yourself, because you will never, ever have this time that you're in your house 24 hours a day, at least. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or I would, I would say maybe, you know, if, if you're on the front lines and stuff like that, you right. know, it's different, but for us cyber people, 
cybersecurity, you're going to be working from home, which means mm-hmm. eight hours. You sleep eight hours. That's 16. You're in your house. And I'm pretty sure you're going to spend another three hours. You might go to a store in California. Everything is closed. So you might go to a store. What are you going to do with your 24 hours? Right. And, right. and that's what I would say. And, and Chris, you know, I, I've known you for a while and I love you're a thinker. I'm a thinker. So when we, when we have those conversations and I miss those conversations and you know what I'm talking about, who do you, who do you have those conversations with now? Right. Where's that? Where's that at now? I get to have them with, you know, people in the mastermind. I get to have them with the guests when they come on. My favorite thing is having those conversations and that's my excuse to go deep. You know, if we came on and we were like, hey, uh, how's the weather? You know, oh, did you watch the game last night? Ha, 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 that's crazy. Well, what about this? Oh, well, that's funny. That's crazy. Did you see this in the news? And that was the end of the podcast. It'd be a completely different podcast. Yeah. But, <clears throat> excuse me. But we're able to to use that excuse to go right into the depths of it. Uh, like we just had somebody on the podcast uh, named Suzanne. And Suzanne has a remarkable story. Um, She ended up losing her daughter, uh, sadly, and suddenly uh, at the age of 22. And it sent her to the depths. And she ended up becoming friends with the mother of the daughter that received the organs from her daughter. And now they have a podcast together. And the podcast is called Back to Happy. And uh, it's an incredible episode. It's not out yet. But having those types of conversations, uh, I, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Man. Well, Chris, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And I'm sure that, you know, the people that are going to be watching this is going to get so much value. Thank you so much. Anything for the viewers uh, just thank you, you know, continue to watch Marco. Marco is a beast. Um, you know, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always active on there. And uh, if you're interested in checking out our shows, uh, it's hackervalley.com. Uh, we'd love to have you a part of the family. Thank you. And thank you everyone for watching until next time. Take care.